Hi, my name is Aisha Small. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth and Education podcast, where I interview interesting guests to explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK. This podcast is brought to you by the Youth Think and Action Tank, LKM Co. Hello, welcome to episode 19 of the Youth and Education podcast from LKM Co. This episode features Sam interviewing Kate Bowen-Reiner, who is one of our um, team members. Kate's talking about a project that we worked on last year that I also had the pleasure of working on um, about youth homelessness and it resulted in the report called A Place to Call Home. In this episode, Kate talks about the extent of youth homelessness, um, a time that she challenged the Prime Minister Theresa May, the importance of uh, the stories behind the statistics and the true scale of youth homelessness, and also which young people are more likely to be homeless. This episode also features the voices of some of the young people who form part of our participatory research. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you learn a lot from the episode. LKM co-believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at lkmco.org. Can we listen to it now? So, uh, in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Kate Bowen-Viner, who's the newest member of the LKM Co team. Hello! And uh, Kate was one of the authors of our recent report on youth homelessness called A Place to Call Home. Um, firstly, Kate, given that you're the newest member of the team, and this is your first appearance on the LKM Co podcast, is it not? It is indeed. Okay. I'm very excited. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> this should be a good chat. Um, I wondered if you could tell us all an interesting fact about yourself. Okay. Um, it's quite a tricky question, having an interesting fact about yourself. But I think I would go with, uh, I have a chicken named after me. So on my Twitter page, you can see that my background picture is a chicken. I've noticed that. And that is because um, when I was younger, one of my friend's mums actually had a, had a chicken in her garden. It was their pet, pet chicken. And the chicken used to behave quite a lot like I did as a teenager, so hence it got named after me, which okay. I think is quite fun. That's brilliant. I like that a lot. And it also explains the <laughs> Explains the, the picture. picture. Okay. Yeah. Right. I've never asked about yeah. it. She Excellent. was a bit of a maverick, so she um, she used to sort of run away from her cage a lot and just do really random things. She once ended up in the driving seat of my friend's car, which is quite Excellent. fun. <laughs> Uh, is, is the chicken still around? Or? No, she's not. Unfortunately, she died last year. Oh, but she, okay. re- she reached, uh, she lived for a very long time. So, right. you know, she did well. She was very happy as well. She had cool. fields to run in, so she's fine. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Ace. Also, you recently told me that you sometimes have kind of light bulb moments at three in the morning. So you'll wake up uh, with an idea or a solution to a problem. And I've always been a bit jealous of people like that because I never have those moments. I just, the problems just seem to fester in my mind without any solution. <laughs> Uh, have you got any good examples recently of where you've had one of those moments? What kind of problem did you solve or what wacky idea did you have? Okay, so I wouldn't necessarily say, Sam, that I always have the best ideas at like that time of the morning. Right. Because I think I might wake up with very sudden ideas, but they're not necessarily good things that I should follow through on. So, for example, I recently came up with the idea on a 
it was a Sunday morning really, would gone to sleep on Saturday night, early hours of Sunday morning, woke up and just was absolutely determined that I should write a sitcom. Um, <laughs> so I did start doing that. Um, and I, I did like a, I, I say I started writing it, I started writing down ideas about what I could do. Mm. But I was really <laughs> determined to write a satirical sitcom about young people entering sort of life after school and the workplace, just to sort of um, draw attention to inequality in those areas, which I do think is an important thing to do. I don't necessarily mm. think I should be the person to write a sitcom. But, you know, I think I'd, I, was, I was obviously dreaming about something and I'd picked up on an interesting idea. Okay. Um, probably some of the good ideas of things I did actually follow through on was a lot of them when I was teaching. Mm. So I often used to wake up and think like, oh, that would be a really good creative lesson. So I can think of when I did a murder mystery with my year 10 class, Mm. and that was in my second year of teaching. And that was a really good lesson. It was kind of, um, it was a revision lesson. And so everything that they had to do was about solving problems that were related to what they'd learned and they had to do tasks that were related to English Lit. And that was quite good. It took me about three weeks to plan it because it was really complex, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. And is that one of those, uh, so I've never taught, but I can imagine that there are some lesson plans where you walk in and you think, I know this is going to work, this is going to be really good. And other times when you think, this is a bit experimental, it might be great, it might really not work out Did yeah you know in advance this was going to be no I think it was it was because I knew the kids really well mm. that I knew that they would probably like it um I don't necessarily think that that kind of lesson that lesson would work with all the pupils that I've taught it just so happened that they were they were into but they were very much into those kind of like mystery stories so I thought it would work for them mm. um and no, I didn't necessarily think that it would definitely work, but I spent so long planning it and I really wanted it to go well, so I think that's High risk, but it paid off. I hope so. Brilliant. Yeah, at least I think it did. Cool. No, we've learned lots about you from that, so thank you. Um, the first question I had for you about our, our recent report, A Place to Call Home, um, was that you, you recently picked up the Prime Minister on Twitter about some terminology and definitions that she used, I think it was during PMQs, just before yeah. Christmas, wasn't it? Um, and that was, yeah, that was that seemed to me to be quite a specific but important and interesting angle on our report as a kind of a way. Could you tell us what it was that the Prime Minister said, uh, why it sparked your uh, your attention? And, sure. And what was it you wanted to say um, so. If I sort of start, actually, rather than what Theresa May said, if I start by explaining the definitions, that might be an easier way of me yeah, sure. picking up on why I found what she said in it, uh, a problem. Yeah. Um, so when we were doing the Youth Homelessness Project, um, we, we sort of came across three main categories of homelessness, mm. um, and the same for youth homelessness. So the statutory homelessness, um, which, is where lo- uh, which is where homeless people... Uh, go to their local authority and ask for assistance and are accepted for that assistance. Mm. There's non-statutory homelessness where people go to their local authority but are not accepted for assistance. And there's hidden homelessness um, where people do not make contact with their local authority at all um, and might be experiencing things such as sofa surfing when they're staying on the sofas or staying with with people that they know, friends, family, or maybe even strangers. Um, so based on those sort of three categories, we can now sort of like look at what Theresa May, or I can explain what Theresa May said. Mm. 
Um, so she was answering a question in PMQs and the question was about why so many children would be homeless on Christmas Day and a figure was used. So the figure that was used ref refers to statutory homeless children. Um, but as I said, there were three sort of main categories of homelessness. Um, and Theresa May responded and said, well, um, the, the number that you've, she, she basically said, the number that you've quoted doesn't mean that those many children will be sleeping on the streets, which is true. It doesn't necessarily mean that those number of children will be sleeping on the streets, because as I just said, those who counted as statutory homeless and who are in official statistics on home, homelessness mm. wouldn't necessarily be sleeping rough. They might be receiving assistance from their local authority. But my problem with what Theresa May said was that she was kind of giving the, I felt that she was giving the impression um, that if you're, if you're homeless but you're not sleeping on the streets, then you're, it's not a problem then it's, you're not somebody that needs help. Mm. And I think that was, I, I don't know her reasons for doing that. It might have been to score sort of political points. Um, but it, I think that, that's a, a major issue and something that we came across in terms of the report, not knowing, uh, people not being aware, sorry, of um, hidden homelessness. Mm. And and that's something that I, I really, I know it's one of our recommendations in, in terms of, um, to raise awareness of hidden homelessness and, and for people to talk about it mm. um, and challenge stereotypes. And I don't think what Theresa May said in that response really did that. I hope I've explained that well enough because it was a bit complex in terms of the yeah. definitions. Yeah, and I, that's, that's really clear to me and I think it's a really useful place to start because I remember when we started work on this report, um, homelessness, it strikes me that homelessness is one of those social problems where we're all very aware that it exists mm -hmm. for instance you know on the way to work most people in an urban area particularly will walk past someone who's just been sleeping rough or sleeping rough for instance but I've I my concern sometimes is that we run the risk of thinking that's the full scale of the problem or the only part of the problem yeah. it seems that homelessness is it's definitely one of those social problems where there's a lot more to it. You know, we, we see the tip of the iceberg, for instance, and there's a lot, a lot more happening beneath the surface. Um, given that, that starting, I think our report, reading back through it, it's, it's a really useful kind of primer in that stuff for people mm. who haven't come to this topic before. Where do we go after we've kind of cleared up some of that definitional stuff? Where else do we go in the report? What's the, what, do we, what else do we do with our report? Um, well, sort of to, to go back into what you were saying about we don't really know the full extent of, of homelessness and what it really means to the people experiencing it. And I think that's really what our report did, um, is that we, the, the methods that we used, the, the, the whole sort of aim of this report um, wasn't only you know, just to, to find out how youth homelessness in, in uh, related to um, education and the relationship that those two elements had in young people's lives, but was also to really prioritise young people's voices and young people who had experienced homelessness. Mm. And that's something I suppose that I'm really proud of being involved in that because I think um, it really empowered those young people and it gives every, everyone who reads that report or engages with any of the materials from that project um, a, be a better understanding of what it is like to be homeless and to step inside that world and to understand the scale of the issue. Um, and I really remember 
um, distinctively talking to young people about what what does it mean to be homeless and as we, was, we were just saying sort of the categories of homelessness and what politicians might say about homelessness and figures on homelessness and I do remember I, I'm not going to get the correct quote it is on it is in our report and on the blog mm. but I, I remember one of the young people sort of just said when you haven't got a place to rest your head where you can be at peace then if then you're not at home like it's about having a home it's not necessarily about being just about being on the streets or or having shelter mm. it's about having somewhere to call your own and i think that that's a really important thing for people to remember hopefully i haven't gone off on too much of a tangent there but um no that's, i do think that's important yeah and for me that idea of stability comes it was a a theme there's probably multiple words you can put to these things but and I suppose that taps in partly to what we what we value as individuals in our lives. And mm. I think back to when I was studying, for instance, at school and college, it's things like stability are really important. So, you know, knowing that you've if you've had a really, really bad, difficult day, you've got somewhere to go back to that's the same place you were at, you know, last week and the week before. Yeah, and you definitely. know what's going to be there. And um, that really, of, of many things, that jumped out to me as something quite quite difficult to relate to I found the absence of that something really difficult to relate to and the photos and uh, the quotes and the things that we the stories that we brought out in the report kind of help you to get some way yeah. towards understanding yeah. it so um, yeah stability was something that really jumped out to me in that report what is the true scale of the youth homelessness problem and as you say it's quite it depends how you define it and we have it sounds as though we have imperfect data feel free to kind of explain yeah. why that's the case as well um so i basically think that you can answer that question i think if i think about it some more i think you can answer that question in sort of two ways so i think you can look at the scale of youth homelessness by thinking about in a very st sort of statistical way finding out thinking about the numbers which is obviously a really important part of understanding the scale of youth homelessness um, but also you can think you can understand the scale of youth homelessness by looking at someone's story so looking at the story behind those statistics to understand the the major impact that it has on an individual's life mm. um, and I think that that second bit shouldn't be forgotten looking at people's stories um, because I, I, I worry sometimes that we're kind of at risk of that when often news articles focus on statistics and newspaper articles do and I think it's really important that we look at people's young people's stories mm. um, but I will go into the statistics just to, to show you what a major problem it is across the country and it affects so many people and mm. um, so in 2016 just over 13,000 16 to 24 year olds were accepted as statutory homeless um, and as I said before, that's the number of young people who would have contacted their local authority for support and who will have received it, who would have qualified for support. But added to that, 30,000 in the same year, or just over 30,000, were turned away from support. Um, and then 215,000 are estimated to be sofa surfing every night and 39,000 are estimated to be sleeping rough every night. Mm. So you can just see that that's a huge number of young people that this affects. Mm. And that, you know, picking up on the biggest one, 215,000 young people are estimated to be sofa surfing. Mm. And, you know, as I was saying before, sofa surfing 
is where um, a young person might seek shelter from from another from another person's home. It might be that they actually sleep on a sofa, but it, they could be going to different places from day to day, and that is obviously affecting a lot of young people. And I know it affected a lot of the young people that we worked with, mm. um, and it is a huge issue. Uh, and in terms of picking up on the stories that the young people's people um, gave us, and when they were working with us, I think what was really powerful about that is apart from those numbers it gave us and anyone who reads the the report like a deeper understanding of what it of what youth homelessness is Mm. so I think you need the two bits I think you need you do need to understand how many people it affects and look at estimates and statistics but you also need to listen to the stories of the people who have those experiences if that makes sense to mm. understand the true scale of it mm. but it it's it's huge it's it's happening to people every day we it's just undoubt, undoubtedly we're walking past young people who are, are who are experiencing homelessness or who have experienced homelessness every day mm. and if we consider all the different forms that homelessness might take then it is a lot of young people and some of those will be of compulsory school age, right? So there'll be um, there'll be some young people who are still expected to turn up at the same place every day to continue their course of study, whatever it is. But they might, I'm guessing that when you're sofa surfing, you might be in you know a different couch every week where you don't even know where you're going to be. And I can imagine, I'm guessing that's that creates all kinds of difficulties for maintaining what you're. What's expected of you in an education course, which is turning up, you know, ready to learn, yeah, um, and, and being there the next day, bright yeah. and bushy-tailed, you know. Definitely, I think the the sort of homelessness creates chaos in a lot of young people's lives, and that has an impact in in terms of their education, um, but in lots of different ways. So, if you think about, let's take, take the case of, for example, we might think about sofa surfing, say. Um, if somebody is going around from from place to place each night and don't know where they're next going to sleep, um, that might have an impact on the practicality and the logistics of getting to an educational institution, say a school or a college. If you have to go somewhere that's further away from the school or college, how are you physically going to get to school on time? That might be a problem. Mm. Um, the anxiety of not knowing where you're going to sleep is, is undoubtedly going to have an impact on your... Um, on your sort of schoolwork and anything that you do in class um, and and it might have an impact in terms of your relationships with your teachers and your friends or other pe- people in your year group so it really has a massive impact like the actual experience of homelessness um, as do the causes of homelessness I don't know if you wanted me to go into that now mm. and I was going to ask you as well about if there are any particular groups of young people a question that's on my mind are any particular groups of young people that are most at risk of becoming homeless so I guess those two questions are sort of related but it'd be good to know more yeah so um, so I'll explain the groups of young people who are most at risk of homelessness now is that cool. right? Yeah, that I do. Whatever okay. order, whatever okay. order is your fancy. Um, so, like, there are lots. So I think actually, I think before I go into the different groups of young people, I think a really important point to think about when you're thinking of who is most at risk of homelessness is often 
or like historically, I feel like there's been a bit of a narrative um, that homeless, you should care about young people being homeless or you should care about people being homeless because it could happen to you. And that is undoubtedly tr- like, theoretically true. Homelessness can happen to anyone. But I don't think we should ignore the fact that some groups of young people are more likely to become homeless. I think it would be silly to do so because if, if we can if we recognise that there are certain trends, um, we can we, we're potentially enabling sort of more actions to sort of we can target support target right? support yeah mm. um, and I think that's a really important point and I don't think. I know a couple of academics have, have sort of made that point recently, but I don't think enough people do. Mm. Um, but the at-risk groups, in, in terms of the research that we did, um, so care leavers were at a high risk of homelessness, which I don't think is particularly surprising to a lot of people, really unfortunately. Mm. Um, and in 2015, it was estimated that 17% of the youth homeless young homeless population were care leavers mm. um, and, and when we were doing our research so a disproportionate yeah a disproportionate number, number. Yeah. Um, when we were doing our research we found that a lot of young care leavers had not had for many different reasons had not had preparation that they needed for independent living and that sort of had um, a negative impact on them and then sort of led to their homelessness mm. um, But also uh, another really interesting figure that I will go into, uh, 24% of the youth homeless population are estimated to be LGBT. And that, again, is a disproportionately high proportion of the young homeless population. Mm. Um, And that is often related to young LGBT people not uh, being accepted by their families and family breakdown and also the presence of violence and aggression in the home, mm. um, which forces young people to leave, which is a which is a really sad figure. Um, and I was going to go into this later, but I'll explain now that in in terms of the official figures that we have on young homeless people, um, it's not broken down by gender identity or sexuality. So it's very difficult, I suppose, to track. Um, what's happening to these young people and for governments to um, perhaps focus their resources where they're most needed Mm. because that's not being tracked and I know one of of the recommendations for our report was to um, adjust the way in which data was collected on young homeless people Um, but that's that's another huge group of, of young people here who were um, likely to become homeless mm. but also there are youth offenders and you can get into a vicious cycle of, of being in prison then coming out of prison and then re-offending and going back into prison um, because of becoming homeless mm. and that's that affects a large number of um, young people who become homeless and also really interestingly um, although the young as I just said the young homeless um data sets, the official data sets on young people who are homeless are not particularly brilliant in terms of they're not very detailed, um, then although they're not broken down by ethnicity, um, a large proportion of the adult homeless population are from 
black, Asian and minority ethnic groups. So that would suggest that it could be the case um, that those that young people from those groups are more likely to become homeless mm. as well. And so it's really important, I think, that um, we're aware of that and also that data, that the adjustments are made to data collection so that those young people can be effectively tracked and, and supported. Yeah. Mm. It's just made me think, how do we, in terms of identifying uh, subgroups and just gathering the data itself, how do we know how many young people are sofa surfing or the, the hidden homeless? It seems almost paradoxical to, be, to measure anything hidden, so how do we do it? Mm, it's really tricky and actually, so the, the figures that I quoted earlier are estimate, estimates that have been done. And those have been estimates based on ask, asking young people um, in, in questionnaires just have they ever slept rough or have they ever sofa surfed okay. and then estimates have, have been calculated um, on that and, and I think you're right it's really difficult to have, get an accurate figure of the amount of young people doing this mm. um, but I think part of the well hopefully part of the solution would be that um, it's just awareness so like being aware that this happens to young people or this you know hidden homelessness happens has to be a step in the right direction I mm. suppose because if we ignore the case that it does we don't have enough attention or resources in solving the issue mm. and so I think that's one way forward in terms of tracking those people long term um, I think it's very, very difficult but I would hope that the government could look into ways of working with other departments and other public services um, to improve their contact with young, um, with in terms of their contact with uh, hidden homeless young people. Hmm. Okay, that's really clear. Um, you pointed out there some ways in which youth homelessness as a social issue um, has quite clear points of contact with the criminal justice system, with the care system. How does youth homelessness as an issue time with education and the education system? What do we say there in the report? Um, so that's really interesting. It's a really interesting question and I think it's a really inter interesting thing for people to think about. <coughs> and youth homelessness has a really complex relationship with education. But the way that I would sort of break it down, and I think we do in the report, um, is by thinking about how the causes of youth homelessness impact education, how the experience it's, it, of homelessness itself impacts education, um, and also how education can impact homelessness. Mm. So as you can sort of see from me sort of saying those three kind of um, main sort of relationships, it is mm. very complex. But if I sort of think, if we think about um, the journey of a young person, uh, let's say one of the major causes of um, youth homelessness is familial relationship breakdown. So even before a young person might be experiencing homelessness, that cause, familial relationship breakdown, might be going on. They mm. might have fallen, you know, there might have been, um, for whatever reason, huge relationship breakdown between them and their parents, them and their siblings. Um, that is going to have an impact on their education experience. It might mean that they're less engaged at school. They might have poor relationships with teachers. It might have an impact on their behaviour. That, in turn, might lead to them being excluded 
Um, it also might lead to them having low attainment. And then when once uh, or when they become homeless, that might the two things combined together might mean that they leave education. So it's not so much that the fact that you know it's not a linear relationship. Um, any of these causes, any of these experiences, is it's really complex, and it's important to understand that. Um, but also, the, it, it could be the case that the experiences of homelessness itself um, has a negative impact on education and might sort of force a young person to leave education for whatever reasons. It could be uh, something to do with where they have now been given um, supported accommodation. They might have had to move and they might not be able to afford travel um, based on the money that they get. It could be something like that. It might also be the case that they just feel less engaged with education because they're, they're going through a really chaotic or traumatic time periods. Um, that might happen. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I've explained a little bit about how com complex that relationship yeah, is. Yeah, it sounds complicated. And despite that, in the report, we flag some areas where uh, staff in schools, predominantly, I guess, teachers who see young people day in, day out and spend a lot of time with them, um, may be able to pick up on some of the warning signs, um, the risk factors, or maybe even to notice if a young person might be homeless. Yeah. What, what do we say there and what sorts of practical contributions are we able to make in our report for what what might be able to feed into teaching practice or the way that we organise education? Yeah, um, so I think before I ask that question, I just sort of emphasised that I think in the, in the report, um, we'll, we're really aware of how schools work. I mean, mm. I think everyone who works on the report has worked in a school as a teacher. Yeah. So that is, I think we were coming from that angle of sort of understanding the teaching practice. And we do understand that teachers are not social workers. Um, but I think schools do have a role to play because they have so much contact with young people um, and can be an, an excellent support for them. So being aware of the signs of homelessness, so as, as I just said, like familial relationship breakdown is one, um, you know, p drug and alcohol abuse might be another, mental health issues. Um, but being, you can you can look at our report for for a detailed summary and, and diagram of all the causes of youth homelessness, which is actually I would recommend looking at. Um, but being aware of those and also being able to flag young people to existing services who are specialised to support young homeless people, um, because obviously the support that those young people will will need is very specialised in terms of their housing needs, um, as well as other sort of social needs. And that's really important. So it just it might be the case that a young person is is in school and um, teachers are aware of perhaps that they're worried about an, a, they're worried about the young person for, for whatever reason. Mm. Um, and it might be the case that they need to flag those services to them. Mm. All of which could potentially make quite a big contribution. But I I see your point there that it's and we. We seem to make this point quite a lot when we're discussing these sorts of issues as a team and that sometimes it's clear that schools and the education system could have quite a valuable input, but yeah. it's always so tempting to load more stuff onto schools and to teachers. And it might be that might not be the most efficient way of, of tackling the problem. Like you say, there's 
arguably a case for um, a more expanded or better as a social care system to be managing these things? Yeah, for, I think so. Um, is there are there any other recommendations beyond beyond education that we pick up on? Are we, in fact, what would you say are the the main recommendations that, that we make, whether they're education related or broader than that? So I think um, we had quite a lot of recommendations directed to government actually, and in terms of um, local and central government. Okay. Um, but I'd pick up on, which is a point I haven't explained yet, but I'd pick up on our recommendation for job centres to have a designated young person lead, each one to have um, one of those people working in their team. Mm. And the reason for that is um, for one of the young people that we worked with, um, he explained to us that um, he had been forced to leave his education course due to um, the job centre putting pressure on him to look for a job because he was claiming universal credit. Mm. Um, so he had to leave his college course um, and once he once he was looking for a job, he, he didn't complete his last exam. He, he therefore failed the year, which means he can't do his second year. So it created a, a massive um, amount of chaos in terms of his educational experience. Yeah. And that was basically avoidable because he was told afterwards, after this had all happened and he can't go back to his college course, he was told that um, the job centre had made a mistake and that, that that shouldn't have happened because he was in full-time education and was under 21. Wow. Um, so I think a lot of the time, if it, and, and this is a, is, a, is a case for lots of young people, um, you know, when we were doing our research, we picked up on that. And, and I think perhaps having somebody there who is specifically trained and responsible for interactions with young people and perhaps for training other staff as well would be a really good thing to do. Um, because that's ensuring that young people can engage with, with education once they are homeless. Mm. And I, I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and I also think the data collections that I was talking about earlier um, are really important because those, in terms of getting more information, de- information on young, uh, the youth homeless population's demographics. Mm. Um, because as I said, I think it's sort of, naive and maybe perhaps a bit offensive to say that homelessness can happen to absolutely anyone as I said like theoretically that is possible but Mm. we know that certain groups are more at risk and I think if we had better data um, we would be able to track them and give them the support that they needed. Mm. I find that a really interesting point that I've never really thought about that before because I've heard that kind of phraseology used in other areas of social uh, social policy, I guess trying to inspire people behind a cause by saying, well, it could happen to any one of us. And in a way, I can see where that sentiment comes from. But actually, in some ways, it's disingenuous because the reason people end up in these situations, the reason young people end up being homeless is because sometimes a quite particular, quite identifiable and in many ways quite predictable constellation of factors comes together um, yeah. to to put them in that situation. And in some ways, those that constellation of factors is preventable. Um, that's really interesting. I'm going to kind of take that away and mull over it, I think. Um, yeah. As a way of ending, I 
whenever I'm listening to a, a podcast about something, I always try and picture it. So uh-huh. some people who haven't read the report yet, and of course we're saying they should definitely go go and read it, um, might be wondering what it what it looks like. Um, this is where I think the methodology that we adopted really comes through because the report is really striking and that there's lots of young people's images and voices are there to see mm-hmm. and, to, and to read. Um, could you tell us a bit about how we put this report together, what we did, and about the group of young people that we worked with to create yeah, it? Yeah, sure. So it, uh, it was an amazing project for me to work on. It was one of the first ones that I worked on um, at Alcamco, and we used participatory research um, which basically it can it can happen in lots of different forms participate participatory research but we wanted the young people to lead sections of the re- or parts of the research that we were doing and we really wanted their voice to to come through um so that's hence why the word participatory is used in terms of rather than the young people being passive subjects of our investigation i suppose um they contributed to the work that we produced together. Um, So, for example, we worked with 10 young people in Newcastle and two young people in London. Oh, sorry, I've got that wrong. We worked with 10 young people and we worked with two young people in London and eight young people in Newcastle. Right. And um, so we ran ran three workshops... um, with each of these groups of young people where we trained them to use um, photography and um, interview. So we trained them with photography and interview skills as well as audio editing, mm. which I found very difficult, but I was very impressed by, by um, what the young people produced. It was absolutely amazing. Right. Um, so we gave them the skills to interview one another. So the, the, what we analysed, the data that we analysed, actually the young people had interviewed one another and I think that when it gave a lot of authenticity to what was uh, to the report and the data that came out of it um, it was amazing that the young people were so involved they can use those skills when they you know in later life and when they go on to do the next thing or when they're applying for jobs Um, but it really helped to um, I suppose prioritise their voices and that was the most important thing about the report. I don't really see myself homeless. I don't. Like, the hostel I'm at now, I don't really see that as, I, I, I see that as me just some, somewhere I can stay until I get my flat. Like me person, I, I seriously don't see myself homeless. Like I'm only in that hostel because I've left care. I've less foster care. That's that's the way I take it. But like apart from that, obviously, I just have to stick to it. Do you think the hostel's a good thing or a bad thing? Right, it is a good hostel. Like I get my support where I need it, and obviously, like my key worker, he tries his hardest to like keep us in there, and obviously try and put us on the straight and I think that so no it's not it's not too bad why did you enjoy looking after autistic children and how did it make you feel it was good because of the experience it's, it's like being an adult just it's like that adult role and 
it learned you like it, it taught you how to be responsible to like look after an autistic person just the way they are and the way they go on and the way they act around people and in front of strangers it's it's a hard challenge to do and it's a hard experience to look into but yeah it was a best experience of my life I've ever had looking at the time of me being at the Oaks from year 7 all the way up to year 11 I, like in my spare time at school was to go into the autistic unit and helping out and like if doing things like that so like it would give me a big massive impact on how to like look after people who have got like physically learned difficulties and people who are in wheelchairs and that um, and it was really amazing the work that they produced so the, the photographs that they took as part of the project were obviously analysed for the report um, but also were put on display um, at an event that our, the, the funder of our research the Sage Foundation put on which was amazing it was at the South Bank Centre mm. and we had all the young people who were involved in the project there and they were talking to people about their experiences and one of the young people was on stage and was um, on a panel and was absolutely amazing like oh, brilliant and that was what's so amazing about that work I suppose is that it was amazing to work with those young people um, and to see the passion that they had, despite all that chaos that they'd been through, they were still very passionate about wanting to try new things, you know, coming along to these workshops, mm. learning new skills, and, and a lot of them had really, really high aspirations for the future, and that really shone through in the work that we did with them, and definitely in the quality of the work that they produced. Mm. Yeah, it's so impressive and, and valuable, the contribution that they made yeah. to the report, like a genuinely participatory bit of work yeah it was um, it was amazing it was a br absolutely brilliant thing to do i totally recommend that other people do it as well yeah i think it's great and if you do want to to learn more about the report and give it a read then it's up on our website along with uh, at least one video um of uh, interviewing one of the young people that we worked with um and as kate was saying the report contains um a lot of the young people's work so it's really worth going to look at and to learn more about this really important um, problem. So, Kate, thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, bye. Hey people, I love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. One, subscribe. Press the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. Two, share. Share this episode with somebody who you know will find it interesting or is affected by the specific issues covered. Free. Review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also feel free to contact us via the links on the show notes. Thanks a lot. Bye.